Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tech Deck Podcast. I'm John Martin. And I'm Dean Riverman. So, Dean, we are kicking off a trilogy I today. like. That's Ooh, what I'm calling it. A trilogy. The, the first Tech, dun, dun, dun. Tech Connect Podcast trilogy. Maybe yes. that's the first. We had that one with Cordy. Yes. But that was spread over like... Like a year, I think, practically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this yeah, yeah, is going to yeah, be yeah. three back-to-back-to-back episodes. Nice. That are dealing with not the exact same topic, mm-hmm, but a mm-hmm. theme. Ah. That theme being artificial intelligence. Oh, I AI, see. A Perfect. Popular topic. Yes. Well, trilogy days. has that mystical kind of allure to it anyway. It does. So does AI. Yes. Yeah. And we've kind of hinted at it. We've talked about it here and there in a few episodes. We we had our marketing AI conversation, but yep. I wanted yep. to bring some more folks in to like really dig into this topic. I mean, it's. Well, are people talking about AI yeah, right now? I think it's pretty much the hottest topic out there, and we're not above jumping on bandwagons right now. Right, right, yes, so, yes. You know. Well, we have to kind of educate people, right? Yeah. We, we need to bring in good people who know what the is, heck they're talking it about. It is relevant to our industry. It's not like we're That's right. It's not like we're just some other rando podcast about nothing related right. to That's technology. Right. It's like, yeah. let's talk about AI because everyone else is. No, this right. is relevant to us in our channel. It is, so. very much so. Uh, so this week, our first guest talking about this, we have Ravi Vartian with us yes. from MeltCX. Ooh, good uh, one. We're going to get into some topics about use cases mm. and unique ones that are out mm-hmm. there for mm-hmm. AI, for machine learning. Yep. We're going to get his perspective on the AI conversation and what yep. that means to him and to a company that specializes in this. Like, yep. What are they experiencing right now that now that everyone's talking about AI? Got it. We're going to talk about visual analytics, which mm-hmm. is a big part of what MeltCX does. I love that does. stuff. I do yep. too. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think it's just a cool idea, that, a cool way of phrasing it that I, yes. think that I haven't really right. come across yet. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about digital signage and retail in particular, mm-hmm. how that's affected mm-hmm, by AI. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're going to talk about education, which oh. may be one of those, one mm, of those niche, that's a sleeper one. Yeah, niche yeah. industries okay. that you may not think about as much. Maybe a lot of our bars don't really pay attention to, right. but there could be some opportunities related to AI Oh, there opportunity too, so. there, too? Yeah. Holy moly. You act, do we, we have, have enough time? time you've been on this podcast. Do we have enough like, time for all this? I don't think we have like, enough time for all this. Well, we're going to make it happen. All right. Well, Since when is time ever a constraint for us? <laughs> oh, I mean, Marco. Marco will yell Marco at us. Marco is going to yell at us. Yeah. He'll yell at us and tell us we're going too long. But Wrap it up. I mean, yeah. it's not like, you know, it's right. not like we care. We just talk about what we want to talk about. Let's dive in, shall we? All that plus our usual value to the bar. What's tech connecting with us? It's time to plug in and get connected. Welcome to the Tech Connect Podcast. It's time to get connected. All right, as I mentioned, our guest today is Rafi Vardy, and he is the VP of Business Development for Meld CX. Mm. Meld's a new, a fairly new partner for us. Yes, they uh, came to it, us through it, the yes. Intel. Intel, uh, relationship. yeah, yep. Intel brought it, brought them in, recommended mm-hmm. them to us. We're excited to have them joining us. So, Rafi, tell us a little about yourself. Tell us, you know, what what's led you to where you are today. Maybe give us a little kind of a a very simplistic overview of what Meld does. Sure, I'd be happy to. And thank you very much for having me uh, on the podcast today. I've uh, listened before and I'm excited to kind of be your participant. Hopefully I can be as entertaining as you guys are uh, by also uh, <laughs> it's give, a conveying bar. a little <laughs> bit of information. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. Uh, and uh, well, my name is again, Rafi Vartian. I'm calling you from the suburbs of Chicago. Uh, uh, what is Meld, and that's a big one. Uh, so MeldCX has two kind of fundamental pillars within our organization. We've got a part of our business that is focused on device peripheral and application management called MeldCore, uh, predominantly for signage and kiosk applications. 
And the part uh, that I specialize in is kind of the computer vision component called Viana, um, which is centered around retail, banking, QSR applications, where we're taking visual um, information and turning into data. We'll go into that in a lot more depth. That's a pretty high level overview. Uh, for myself, um, I'm kind of a technology industry vet at this point. Uh, I was in digital signage for about, I don't know, 13 years or so before I came over and joined Mel to go on this crazy bleeding edge technology uh, journey that we're on right now uh, and, and started in the middle of the pandemic, by the way. So I accepted the job in February of 2020, started the first week of March and said, nice. okay, now what? Right? <laughs> uh, we're, and on top of that, it's an Australian headquartered company. So our executive management is based uh, out of the uh, out of the Australia region. So uh, timing was a bit of a challenge as well. So um, we started down the path um, of trying to kind of bring COVID solutions in 2020. We found our feet in 2021 and a couple of really interesting opportunities. And now we're um, we're growing pretty rapidly. We're adding people here in the U.S. and uh, I love that the opportunity beyond this one because we are looking for partnerships within the VAR community. So oh, there you go. Um, See? Is that pretty good for a high level hope? Bingo. Yeah, yeah yep. definitely. Yep. Completely nailed it. Well, okay. So then, I mean, obviously, then that that lends itself to our first question here, and the first talking point sure. here, which is, mm -hmm. you know, obviously, generative AI has been the talk of the town, AI in general. But I think mm. it's a lot of it spurned because of ChatGPT, yep. these large yep. language models. Now everybody can go in and start playing exactly. and, and get so freaked out. Everyone's yeah. talking about. It. Everyone's trying to figure out. You get an email every day from some company saying we've added AI, mm -hmm. and you're like, I, yeah. uh, you're a you're a pet groomer. I didn't really need AI <laughs> with you. I don't. Or did I? Did I? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, I don't, yeah. maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> so, you know Stuff like that where you're just like, okay, there's plenty of plenty of places that AI and machine learning are starting to take over. There's lots mm -hmm. of practical use cases, lots of implications for industries that our VARs are working with, obviously. So how has yeah. that how's that changed things for you? You mentioned obviously a lot's changed, you know, what you were doing during the mm -hmm. pandemic and post. And obviously as a company yeah. who is kind of, you know, paying attention to and specializing in computer vision, machine learning. I'm sure now that everyone's talking about this, that's changed a lot of your conversations now that the public at large is much more aware of this technology. So what's been going on in your world? Well, I think we're all familiar with buzzword bingo, right? So before AI, it was IoT. Before IoT, there's always a thing that people attach things that may not belong together. So what, what has changed, I think, in our world is that people can understand what we're doing a little bit better but you really kind of have to fundamentally break it down and explain it a little bit to say that AI has not just arrived, AI has been here for a while, and it is in the products and services that people are using and have been using. For example, autocomplete on your iPhone or autocomplete in your Gmail, if you use that, is the part of the fundamental underpinnings of that language because it's predictive text, right? And ChatGPT is just an enormous version of predicted text. So you ask a question that's something that's insane, right? Which is what I, how I like to test kind of some of these systems. And they'll respond back to you with what they think fits. Um, now, where they generated that data and how they got all that data, that's coming out. That'll be coming through lawsuits and things like that about how they scrape the internet and people's writing and things like that. I mean, for example, uh, my daughter uh, plays hockey. She's just turning 11 here in about two weeks, and they call her Bulldog on the team. So she wanted a Bulldog on skates to be her profile for one of her things. And I said, you know, give me a, a Bulldog on, on ice skates. And it you know, took a little bit, but I finally got a picture of it. 
And that's pretty bonkers, right? If you think about the ability to kind of give it language and prompt and be able to spit something back out. I also did a, a, a poem. Uh, I asked, write me a poem about the, um, the joys and the pitfalls of eating ice cream. Right. And it kind of, oh, whoa, is this and it's good for you. It's, it's good. It tastes great, but it's bad for you. You know, those kinds of things. So so they're they're approximating what the answer is going to be based on a prediction of what you might want. Right. But that may not necessarily mean that it's kind of factual all the time. Right. Because we're not um, we're not looking for specific kind of research driven answers in the kind of jet GPT model. The difference between where it's going now is that you company companies like Databricks that are out there. Um, that are taking open source approaches and being professionalized, professionalized, sorry, around open source, which allows customers to say, you know what, I don't want to feed all my data into this big chat GPT engine because I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's going to go. It's this black box, right? But what if I can feed it specific information about me and my business and can it return results that are going to be very interesting and relevant to me? Um, a great use case for me in a sales perspective is that I can feed it quarterly results and end customers that I'm going to meet up with in 130 pages and say, act as an analyst and give me a briefing on it. Right. So there's real world practical applications that people can use it for, but people tend to use it for kind of the shiny thing. So we want to break it down and educate. That's first and foremost, what we talk about when we say, okay, that's this version of AI. Our version as AI is how we train our computer vision models, and then how do we put predictive um, information about some of the data that we're gathering. And I can break those two down, uh, if you'd like me to, um, into some of the things that we're working on. But let me just take a pause there to say, does that does that make sense so far? I mean, that's that's a that's a, a mouthful. So I want to make sure <laughs> <a> pause. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, there, there's quite a few things there, actually. You know, when, when we think mm. about what generative AI has, you know, when it came into the world, if you will, right. here recently, it really is was just one of those moments where people scrutinized, right. you know, autonomous compute all of a sudden. It's right. like, whoa, 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 number one. Number two, it humanized it, you know, in a way that, okay, yeah, mm. I can have predictive text as you're, as you're referring to, Rafi, but... But to actually ask something a question and have it respond in a very right. human-like way, I think that's what kind of, you know, that those are some of the divides that these LLMs are kind of producing out there right. for for humanity, right? right? It's like, whoa, you know, I case okay, so I already heard about this AI stuff, but I, I just thought it was people in the back room coding some stuff, right? And and writing some yeah. stuff. I didn't think I could interact with it quite right. like I like I have been able to. But uh, it's really interesting and it's it's fascinating where your company kind of starts to fit in because I think that this is exactly where business is going to start utilizing this type of AI in the sense that you know, you, we want to feed it specific information about our business, right? We don't mm. want this nebulous, you know, big sky stuff. Mm. We, we, how does this relate to our world being a quote-unquote business, right? right? Whether it's a retail, hospitality, whether it's a distributor like Blue Star, okay, great. Well, how do we start using this information to feed information that we can now utilize, right? Right, yeah. in, in, a, in a new way. Yeah, exactly. So, well, then, well, then, Ravi, yeah. take that down that path. Then, your yeah. about breaking it down a little further. Sure, sure. Well, I think that we all need to sell things in life, right? I mean, that's kind of how we we make livings. We sell technology to customers that solve business problems, and so that's kind of how we want to start off with it. And say, so there's a lot of things that we can do to kind of educate 
well, what is the business problem that we're really trying to solve? Um, it's certainly not trying to write a poem about ice cream or trying to generate pictures, you know, to entertain your daughter. That's not what we're really trying to do with this stuff. So um, what we talk about when we talk about generative AI, we're, let's bring in a little bit, a few more buzzwords. So if anybody has their bingo card at home, we'll bring in a couple more. Everybody remembers the metaverse and how that was going to be the next big thing, right? And how Meta has spent you know, tens of billions of dollars within this space. Well, uh, it turns out it's a bit of a ghost town because strapping things to your face and being in an alternate universe um, can be a bit disconcerting for you. <laughs> Don't tell Zuckerberg right? that. I, I think he's going to disagree with you, but go ahead. I happen to agree with you, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, I, it turns out that he doesn't have my number and he's not listening to <laughs> my opinion. So, yeah, I don't so think he listens to this did, podcast yeah, either. Right. Yeah, we're Fair good. enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Might, you never know. You probably get AI scraping all of it. There you go. There you go. Um, well, it's there's been I, I, I liken it to what happened in the late 90s when fiber was run across the Atlantic. Right. Uh, and really kind of these Internet companies went pop, but the infrastructure was there. So they valued at X amount. Right. They went out of business, but then somebody took over the pipes and made the modern day Internet. So if you can think about the investments that have gone into the, the metaverse and all these different massive kind of computing environments and the stuff that you strap to your face that may or may not um, look hilarious uh, from outsiders, um, that is, that's the kind of generative AI that computer vision models need. Okay, so let me dive into that a little bit. Computer vision is a terminology that quite literally means when we see a camera view, we're going to do the best that we can to train a models to extract data out of those cameras. Because uh, my friend uh, Mark Scanlon over at Cisco, I'll give him credit for this one. Um, it turns out that loss prevention, 99% of it is in the loss recording, if you will, if we want to kind of look at retail because it's a it's a tool for people to be able to record things to then go reactively interrogate. And so what we're trying to do is implement models that say, what are the things that you want to investigate and gather information from on a real-time basis or near real-time basis in order to tell you something so that you can ask the question? And the question may be, um, how many people have gone through my drive through today? Or how long are they at the order point? Or whether they're making the model of automobiles? Or how many people have gone into my retail locations? Things along those lines. So in order to kind of feed those models and train those things, we create simulations. Our version of generative AI um, that mimics a real world environment, i.e. the metaverse, and runs millions and millions and millions of simulations. Things like different camera views, different weather conditions, different makes and models of cars, all kinds of different stuff in order to get those models to be trained up very well. And you have to continue to train them. So when it comes to the AI world, while we're not dealing with the language, it rhymes from the infrastructure that we have to put in and the work that we have to go train the model. But again, the difference is that we're not trying to ask questions about anything that could potentially happen. We're asking questions about what is the customer's business outcome? What are they trying to achieve from that um, computer vision model? Interesting. Yeah. So, right. Narrowing it into a specific use case uh, uh, in this particular mm -hmm. world. Yeah. So uh, when you talk about training and simulation, then uh, help us understand how that parlays into, 
I mean, what's the process then? I mean, you're, you're going through a, a, an iteration where you're taking information that is provided by the customer, uh, utilizing yeah. that to, to make the predictive model and then implementing it, correct? Uh, and, but yeah, before absolutely. implementation, you mm-hmm. can already uh, start extrapolating what you think is going to be the business intelligence that's going to come out of it. Is that a true, is, right? It is. Um, and so let's just take a step back to say that you've really hit on the key point, which is what is the business value of implementing the technology? So if we don't have a business problem to solve, and if we're just looking to do technology for technology's sake, it doesn't matter if it's computer vision or something else, you know, we, we're, we're shying away from it, and probably so should the, your, your customers, right? Um, because if they're like, oh, this is a really interesting technology, uh, okay, do you have a budget for it? Is it going to solve a business problem? Right. And I think that's what we all have to ask as, as, as professionals. Um, so um, that's kind of how we want to start. What we try to do, though, is find the thematic um, uh, items that will be true in multiple industries. So if you can think about loss prevention and what the cameras are being used for, they're predominantly about tracking people and automobiles. Right. That's kind of what the two kind of main categories are. So when we look at the market, we can say, OK, out of those two kind of main categories, where can we commercialize around? Where could we say, if you, t- if you have a camera already and you tie it into this product, what can it give you? Ins and outs and things along those lines. So general models we train and we can deploy as kind of can, if you will. And then when you go into uh, more specific use cases, we can train custom models from scratch. So we sit down and we develop a scope of work and then we come up with a model training environment and how many millions of simulations will it take to get to the level of accuracy that we need. Um, anything from um, pick and pack environments in warehouses. So, you know, there's a couple of models that we can basically can and, and deploy where people are moving things along those lines. But when it comes to things like hand tracking, and looking at specific boxes or maybe specific barcodes and things like that, that's where we start to go through that customization process. But we try to come with about 80% of it already built. So then it's just kind of tweaking and customization from there. Um, if that makes sense. I, I'm not sure if I answer the question yep. um, exactly, but that's kind of what our approach is. No, that does make sense. Well, then let's let's dig a little further into this idea of visual analytics, which obviously ties into what we're mm-hmm. talking about with computer vision here. It's a big part of what you're doing at MELD. And yeah, I mean, yeah. even your the Vienna platform obviously is built around mm-hmm. that idea of visual analytics. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. explain to us a little bit more about what that means. I think you've already touched on some of that already, but how yeah. is that fitting into you know some of the existing solutions that VARs and ISVs might be going out there and selling right now, or some of the emerging Absolutely. tech stuff that's coming down the pipeline where this kind of visual analytics is going to be able to fit right into what they're already doing? Absolutely. Well, I, I, let's pose a question. Um, if you were to develop a website today, um, and you gave a scope of work for somebody to build it and you say, I want to have a part of an e-commerce platform, right? That's going to have some kind of checkout and we want to understand customer pathways and things along those lines to understand if we've optimized our website, but you have no cookies and no tracking, right? And no intelligence built into how people are navigating your website. You'd probably go, well, how do I know if it's performing? Right. And that is the same in retail, except for the retail environments have already been built. And the the question of how they're performing is typically a lagging indicator of sales. Right. Or maybe there's some basic information like for drive through. There's those metal strips that when people drive over, it has the stop and the start. Right. Of how people going through a line. But it's much more nuanced and complicated than that. 
It's about how long the line is to go before you order, then how long orders take. And there's this accordion effect that goes on throughout drive through things along those lines, right? Um, and so um, we're trying to uh, extract all this data and create an environment where people can actually understand it and provide value of it, right? So a lot of times when we talk to our customers, they go, I want a specific use case. I want to know exactly what staff is doing at this time and that day. And we go, no problem. Why? Oh, well, you know, because we want to help on our labor practice. Oh, okay, interesting. So tell me more about that. Well, we're having a hard time hiring people in these kind of quadrants, and we don't know if we're overstaffed and all the rest of that. And we say, interesting. Well, that sounds like a density issue. And so then we go into our description of kind of the three categories, and I'll kind of riff this way, three categories of what we're trying to understand from a visual perspective right? The easiest to understand is density. How many people or vehicles are in a certain places at certain times? And those are things that cameras, it's fairly easy for us to do. Ins and outs, people counting is what that's commonly kind of referred to. Um, the next one is kind of utilization. How are people spending time within a space? So you get the counts of people in and out, then you go, okay, well, let's heat map and start looking at, are there areas within this environment that people just don't go? Or is there... Um, you know, people that are really, really high density and you're looking at choke points within an environment. So that's the kind of utilization perspective. Um, the, the, more, the most difficult one to do is what's called collaboration. And that's how people are interacting with one another. Okay. So this could be um, line cues when you're looking at like a QSR about how people are kind of managing themselves, if you will. The distance between people is something that we can measure the total amount of people, where they go, and you take all that data in, extrapolate it, making something that says, ah, this is how many, how long people are in line. These are the choke points, things along those lines, right? So from a broad perspective, those are kinds of the, the high level business concepts that we're trying to solve um, and the modules that we deploy. And then it always gets more complicated from there. We tell our enterprise customers in particular that we invest a lot in our UI, right? Um, we've got ways of clicking and searching and bringing up data and all this great visualization, right? But fundamentally, our large enterprise customers are just looking for us to provide the data after we validated the fact that, yes, we can get this data that's valuable to your business. Um, they want to ingest that directly into their business intelligence platforms. Because who wants another UI and another dashboard, right? And so then we can go into the whole backend infrastructure. So it's complex. In some instances, it's simple. We've got things where you can just hang a camera, send a model down, click a button, and you'll get data within a couple of hours. Basically, it'll start generating about people counting things along those lines. But when you talk about the integration of business systems, it can get incredibly complex, but it's incredibly sticky and very valuable. And and you kind of have to feed both worlds, I would imagine, because so everybody's interested in this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you've got you're going to have a small and ma, small mom pa, you know, organization wanting some basic utilization of computer vision AI, right. and then you're going to want the I don't know the Krogers of the world, right. people like that that are going to want fairly yeah. sophisticated systems that are that are tied in. So let's dive dive in a couple areas, and, and thank you for your explanation on on the three parts that you're seeing: density, utilization, collaboration. I wonder, are a lot of your customers starting to come to you with yet maybe it's the fourth, which is behavioral, right? So it's 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 yeah. using computer vision to 
predict behavior or see behavior like theft detection. You know, we're starting to see uh-huh. a lot as it relates to, for example, self-checkout, where, you know, the computer vision system is being utilized to determine whether or not theft is actually occurring right then and there, whether or not, you know, somebody's scanning a bubble gum but putting into the shopping cart, I don't know, a socket wrench, you know, yeah. that is clearly the f- not the $50 item, right? Yeah. The $50 <laughs> item, right? Uh, and so using computer vision behaviorally to, to sense that. Or maybe it's back a house when you're sensing safety issues like a fall fall detection and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So yeah. uh, is that where your world is kind of expanding? I mean, I, I totally get it. I get the, the easy, to me, the easy part of AI, I, I'm using air quotes because <laughs> it still is fairly sophisticated. Oh, the density, how people are using the space. You know, a lot of people aren't even there yet. Right. But I, it right. seems like you're you're probably already getting asked to do fairly sophisticated behavioral and things of that nature. So just your take or we commentary are. on that. It's a great question because it leads us into kind of a, a, a bit of non-obvious line of thinking. Okay. And so the answer is yes, we've been asked to do some of those things and we've accomplished some of those things. Um, the picking and packing that I was talking to you about, right? Um, these are um, live orders that would come in, and within about a third of a second, we'd be, be able to recognize those orders and see if it's happening in real time to ensure that that behavior, that in-person thing is doing the right thing. Because lagging indicators, um, when boxes go out for shipment, when people complain 90 days, 120 days later, that's when they understand that they've had a problem as opposed to instantaneously. Okay, so when we're talking about self-checkout, the same idea, you want that information in real time. So goes the idea so that you can interrupt that process and say, um, put up a flag and say, item not recognized so that somebody can go come over and help you fix it. Right. Which makes sense in a self-checkout environment. Um, Here's the problem. Outside of self-checkout, the vast majority are people checking out just like traditionally. Right. So whether that's a C-store and hundreds of thousands of small mom and pops, whether that's um, your um, larger kind of um, pharmacy that doesn't have self-checkout, how do they find those trends and behaviors? And the reality is the problem is a little bit larger than what you can usually gather in real time because of the capital intensive nature of real-time information. So our approach is to take a bit of a step back. Although real time is always going to be possible, and um, of course we love Intel, right? And we love folks over NVIDIA and and all the rest of it, and they want to have that level of edge computing for real time. The question that we ask our customers is, what's your way of working right now? And if we could solve your business problem, what's what's the gap between real time, i.e. very, very capital intensive, right? And what you're seeing right now. So this more specific example that we can talk about for loss prevention. There's theft at self-checkout. There's um, loss at the register and what we call customer not present, right? And that is a combination of data, effectively, to say if the cash register is open, but you recognize that somebody's behind, but there's nobody in front, that should be something that gets investigated, right? And right now, that is being handled, uh, we call exception-based reporting with a lot of POS vendors. So they'll look at transactional data. With AI, again, AI coming back into the conversation to see if they can find anomalies and then bring that back and say, you probably want to interrogate that, right? But uh, a lot of customers have that 90-day retention policy on their video so that they can go back and review it. We talked about before. 
A lot of it is loss recording and not loss prevention. So there's a there's a blend. There's an area between 90 days from now and instantaneous where we can identify some of those behavioral patterns. So for example, the density information can give you just as much information about organized retail theft where behavioral patterns can as well. So let's make a distinction. Behavioral meaning that we're looking at how people are reaching and touching things and maybe putting things in their their vest or their jacket in order to steal, right? But just as important is uh, organized retail crime when seven people come in at the same time and they all spread to far corners of the store. We don't have to see their hands and their heads and their behavior and all the rest of that, that capital intensive, to understand that we've got dots on a map and the dots spread out like that. We train the model to say, if we see that kind of distribution, that's when you start to say, prompt the LP person to start paying attention. There's an in, so my point is that there's an in-between between instantaneous and then there's the 90 day. There's a lot of area to fill that is not as capital intensive, but can be just as illuminating yeah. from a data perspective. Yep. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if I'm going to really oversimplify this, seeing's believing. Mm-hmm. And we know this, if, you, if you've ever worked in retail, if you've ever worked in any place where you, I, I can, from my own experience, I can identify this, where you know, corporate might be saying like, hey, you guys aren't doing this well enough. You're not selling enough of this. You're not focusing enough on this. We're not seeing the numbers we're supposed to see. Or, uh, hey, we're going to take this out of stock because you're not selling enough of it and we think you should be selling more. Or, or it just doesn't seem like it's selling enough, so let's move it out there. Mm-hmm. The person who is working that day-to-day might be like, hey, I know the reason for this. I know that this is happening because – you, we put this particular product in a part of the store that's always got a line from the checkout counter in front of it, so no one ever sees those yeah. products. Or I know yeah. that this particular stuff is getting stolen a lot because it's high value, and we've shoved it at the back of the store somewhere. <laughs> we put it into the darkest corner right. that no one else ever goes to. Yeah. It's the kind of stuff like that yeah. where our own trained eyes and you know these computers mm-hmm. that work in our own brains, yep, yep. we know the problem. And I feel like we're all we're doing now is we're just building technology to help catch up with that to understand like, hey, you know, or if, automated, if someone, yeah, or automated, right, yeah. Right, right. If, if you know, we're, yeah. we're doing what what we don't have enough people to do every day, which is see what's happening and make those decisions based on what's seen. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 build some automation into some intelligence into the back end into these cameras to do some of that for us and to make that actually happen for mm-hmm. us. And I think that's ultimately what we're trying to accomplish here is like, Hey, let's, especially in a world where we're always talking about labor shortages, we're always talking about not having enough people. You know, imagine you're the, the one sole person responsible for loss prevention in a big box store <laughs> yeah. or a chain. You right. know, let's say like yeah. you're, yeah. you're, you're the loss prevention specialist for five stores. Well, I'm pretty sure you can't be in all five at the same time watching mm-hmm. to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. But to your yep. point, if you've got a system set up, that's like, Hey, Anytime a group of people walk in and disperse to different corners of the store, let's send out an alert. And if even if you're that person and you're in another store that day, the least you can do is at least, hey, I got this alert. Call the store manager and say, hey, I just got an alert that there's some folks, you know, that kind of dispersed. Just want you to keep a heads up, keep an eye out. Doesn't mean you're going to prevent them from doing everything, right? But at least, yeah. at least you're getting a little more ahead of the game than where you were before. So in my mind, it's, I think that's a big part of this is just understanding that. Numbers can say one thing, and I think that's what we've all learned to rely on is numbers and data in the back end. But the tape, yep. the, the recording, the video, that can say something entirely different. I think if you figure out a way to merge those two, then all you're doing is just improving the data flow and improving what you get out of all of that data. Absolutely. Um, there's a reason why a lot of the AI companies call their products co-pilot. 
whether that's Microsoft or GitHub. I mean, GitHub is part of Microsoft, but they call it Copilot because they want it to feel like it's a assistant to you and when you're doing your work and we're no different. We want to say, what are the business problems you're trying to solve? And how do we get you there you, um, to be able to kind of create that data? So that audience could be loss prevention. It could be operations. It could be marketing. Um, in one instance, uh, we've got a customer that's looking at, um, okay, we don't really know anything about our store and where are people going and how they're interacting with their time. And so what we'll do is we'll go through and we'll find all the different categories and the products within those categories. So from a high level, again, we don't have to track people picking up specific, you know, Sharpie pens or things along those lines and putting them down. We know that if they're engaging in specific areas and their body is giving us the indication that they're spending time there, that we've got some level of dwell or engagement within that area. We can even, from a broad level, look at how people are reaching out their hands to know that that's almost like a mouse click, if you will, in that area. And then we start bringing out the categories, look at the point of sale data and say, oh, okay, this is the journey of the individual customer that has gone through and kind of touched those places. Just just want to make a big caveat here in saying that we don't care who that person is. It doesn't matter. Uh, we actually go out of our way to ensure that we are not collecting PII information. We've got all kinds of information up on our website and things that we can send along about how we do that and how we strip out all the PII and how we get complied. Uh, compliance information from a third party that audits us. So just want to put that caveat out there. So to take the creepiness factor away the best that we can. But, um, but um, you know, if you look at how you kind of look at the generic pathways and you can think of personas as how the kind of marketing folks talk about this stuff, what are the personas or people that are kind of walking in? What are they engaging with? And kind of most importantly, what is the match between the products and the sale? So if you notice that there's a lot of dwell time within specific areas, but that's not converting to a sale, what's ever in that category, you can look back and check the tape and see if people are pulling out their phones and they're, you know, taking pictures of those items, but not buying them. So that tells you that you might have a pricing problem. You might have a showrooming problem. There's just, frankly, an unlimited number of ways to be able to interrogate, investigate that data depending on what, again, the business outcome is for the customer. So like let it. me dive a little bit before we get into digital signage on, on object sure. recognition, because what I'm hearing mm. you say is that object recognition and a retail space, for example, uh, to do that in real time and to recognize it and to prevent fraud and, 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 and theft and all those things takes a certain amount of investment, right? Like compute yes. power and, and whatever, whereas, you know, is that what the business is requiring? But, you know, I'm fascinated because, you know, what was the Amazon store where it was completely frictionless? Fr frictionless was it Amazon Go? Uh, yeah. or Amazon so, Go. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, which I think yeah. they shut down, if I'm not mistaken. Or some they, of them. Some of them. Yeah. They yeah. had they had a they version. They back a bit. Yeah. They had a version at NRF, and and you know I just walked in, and I picked up a couple things, and I walked out. Right. I, I don't think I got charged for them because I don't think it was operating correctly. So <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my loss prevention. It was like a free candy bar from from whatever. Sure. But my point here is, I mean, it doesn't seem like so. you're making the argument that it takes a lot of resources in order to facilitate something like that. So maybe right. we're not as close to that kind of nirvana of frictionless cameras eyeing everything. And, you know, I, what do we need RFID and, and things of that nature yeah. for? Because, 
you know, it just takes a heavy lift to make that happen. So is object recognition just something that's going to be, you know, in the retail space down to the object, something that's a couple of years out because of the compute power and what it requires to do that? Oh, it's a, God, it's a great question. Um, so let me kind of break it down a little bit and first ask the question rhetorically, is that Nirvana? Right. Oh, that's a really good point. Okay, right? fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. yeah, we're heading for a minority like, report here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, a little somewhat. I mean, if if they're coming out with palm recognition as a form of payment, they're trying to commercialize that. So Amazon's got a strategy of building out their own kind of retail environments and, of course, Whole Foods and acquisition and then testing out some of the technology to see if they can sell to other retailers as well. But you're kind of letting the fox in the hen house a little bit. When it comes to Amazon, I think a lot of retailers have recognized that. So that may be one of the reasons that they scaled back. But I I know for sure that if you go into one of those environments and you just look up, look at the density of cameras that are in the space. Because they're about every 10 to 11 inches. Wow. Okay? Yeah. So you've got that, but you also have pressure sensors on the actual shelves themselves. Uh, and those cameras are not security cameras in the way that an Axis or a Cisco Meraki or a Hanwha or anything like that. They are specialized cameras that have sonar effectively built into them. So they can look at the three-dimensional range of the things that you're interacting with. Wow. Okay. Wow is right. So that's yeah, a right. lot yeah. of computing. <laughs> that's a lot of computing. Yeah, that I don't see a, a mom and pop store doing that. that. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, there's been some examples that are funded that are great from a PR perspective. That's true. The question is, how far away is Nirvana? Is it two to three years away? And how can we do things like recognize products? So our approach is to say, yes, we can. But again, we go back to frequency, right? So when we think about product recognition, can we train uh, a virtual grocery store to recognize all of the hundreds of thousands of SKUs within that environment? It's actually not that hard. And so we would look at the website even and be able to kind of ping the API potentially, take all the product description, take a look at it and make sure that we've got digital representations, run, run, run lots of models. So what do we get out of that? We could have an environment where if you had enough computing, you could look at people looking at real time, pulling something off the shelf, looking at it, then putting it back, right? We can look at that type of behavior. Um, or we could just say, we know that there are products there. We know that this is what the planogram is going to be. We'll check the planogram every hour. We we'll use the same cameras to just do a bit of a scan. We won't see every product in every shelf. Like you can't see behind certain things and there won't be any pressure gates, but you have very little capital investment and you get about 80% of the data. So you take the, the hourly snapshots and then you look at that customer behavior about how they're moving and how they're interacting. And you can infer based on that and then based on what actually happened, the data that you're looking for. We're inferring how many times people went to an environment and didn't take something off the shelf because it didn't end up in a basket. So that that's the kind of data that we're really kind of focused on because we think it's frankly neglected um, in the market because it's it's this kind of um, drive towards real time or drive towards, well, I don't want to buy it unless you can absolutely recognize the Sharpie. Really? Really? Because you've got the POS data and yeah, you could, there might be some loss that's associated with it, but when they don't understand the big data problem, it's hard to justify the investment to look to be able to recognize a Sharpie. Yeah. And yeah, I think you're right, Rafi, in the sense that I don't, were you at Intel vision uh, recently? 
Well, that was a couple months. Uh, back, it was so. in one uh, uh, last year, and anyway, there was another one recently. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was oh, recently. Yeah. But anyway, they they were showing a technology that was a mix of Getty and what they call Zion Creek, which is which is their computer vision recognition objects, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and applying it to like a C store uh, example. And, and the idea here would be, mm-hmm. you know, one of the challenges that you would face is well. You know, if I'm a C store and I and I'm owner and I bring in a new vendor uh, in that vent, now how do I get that uh, into my point of sale system so that I can enable what I'll call a semi frictionless, uh, you know, point of sale right, departure right. Or, or checkout? Uh, so that if somebody walks up with a, a an object, shows it to the camera, the camera recognizes it, and oh, that's a that's a pack of gum or right. that's a Coca Cola or whatever it is uh, in real time, and they were just showing how they c- you can do that at the store level. So it, it feels like it's kind of getting there and i think you you've expressed a couple of the other mm, intricacies of trying to 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 get to that world and and maybe you're right maybe the nirvana is not the nirvana of anyone but i'm telling you <laughs> yes my 21 year old daughter she just wants to walk in pick up something and walk out she loves the ex- shopper experience right, but right. doesn't want to yep. be burdened right by, <laughs> by walking to a counter and scanning <laughs> that's things that's right and... yeah, yeah 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 if given the option right right if right. given the option well what which would you rather do sit in this what even you right oh, yeah you know, which would you rather do hit a kiosk where you got to touch things that's, and that's right, my right, dream scenario or just, just go walk pick it right up and out go. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> last thing yeah. rafi real quick sorry john sure, uh, sure. The, the pii which is really uh, important and i'm glad you brought it up because you know it's something that's referenced here do you and i don't know the legality behind it uh, is has mm. I don't has the law even caught up with where we're at with con- computer vision and, oh no yeah that's oh, what no, i no, thought no. right yeah uh, Speaking, speaking from the early part of my career, and please don't uh, cancel this, this uh, my participation in the podcast, but I started off in politics, so forgive me. Uh, I spent uh, five or around almost six years in D.C. on Capitol Hill and, you know, working in kind of uh, uh, fundraising and things like that. I won't belabor the point. The only point that I'm trying to make is that po- policymakers are never going to catch up. So they, we have a decision as an industry to go in one of two directions. Um, we could allow for um, all kinds of business practices and then hope that you know you don't get legislated around it so a good example of that would be mass deployment of facial recognition within retail to be able to look at it and it's not banned right now except for by certain states um, to collect biometric information like that but we're never going to go down that path because we don't see see that there's any intrinsic value of identifying individuals Um, so what we do is we look at California privacy, we look at GDPR uh, in, in, in Europe, and we say we will implement the same level of standards of anonymized data within a physical environment that people need to use for online so that we are anticipating of where the market's going to go. Because I'd much rather have a piece of paper that says we've been audited to this level of standards and we don't take any personal identifying information than it be the other way. Um, and that is the importance of edge computing. Right. And being able to kind of inference these things on the camera or on that computing, destroy all that data. Right. So we kind of do it in the memory of whatever edge device that we're at. So we even can't retain it. Right. We tokenize things and we ensure that we are as anonymous as possible. And even in drive through, believe it or not, we don't even look at license plates. Um, We look at um, the unique profile of what the uh, vehicle looks like. If you don't run OCR, right, you can't read the actual letters and numbers. So we just look at a unique fingerprint. We track it for that, you know, anywhere between one minute to, you know, 15 minutes that it takes to go through drive through And yes, for some, it does take about 15 minutes. And then we destroy that token on the way out. And we document that and we've got full transparency to our customers. So we're on the side of 
I got go you. Hard yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear you, but I'm going to challenge you on the, you know, the minority Please. report of the world would challenge you that maybe <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, maybe yeah. certain parts of our society would be okay with with being identifiable walking into a retail environment. Oh, hi, Dean. You know, how was that sweater well, you bought the last time? It's like and we always talk about that. You know, people cringe about if they knew what was being collected about exactly. them now online, exactly. they would be like, whoa, what? You know, yeah, everyone says, I don't want to be the one caught on camera and people knowing who I am. Like, but, yeah, but you also just opened up your Facebook and like, you know, <laughs> flipped through and liked yeah. and touched yeah. like 50 different posts that basically told yeah. Meta everything they need to know about your entire That's existence. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So I, mm-hmm. to me, it's just it's an interesting conversation. And I think we're in this world. I think you've, you've illustrated it very well uh, of, you know, what what is being done today. And of course, I, I don't disagree with you and we're in your position. Uh, I, if I was running the company, I'd be, be probably doing the same thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, complying to. Uh, not having that information, but it, it but it's intriguing to me to see how this is going to manifest itself over time. Right. With right. what mm-hmm. what the younger generations are willing to give up, you know, is give up in the sense of you know u- unique identifiers to right. an, an individual uh, for the sake of convenience and or things of that nature. Yeah. Right. So it'll yeah. just be it'll Certainly. be curious to see. And I think there's an important lesson to our vars and you know to anyone working in this channel that wants to get involved in these kind of solutions too is to make sure that you the companies you are working with are a company like Meld That's who right. have already thought about this. That's right. Have already got guidelines set up for mm-hmm. it because eventually the law will catch up. You're right. It's going to be stupid 100%. far behind. It's going to be <laughs> absurd. I'm sure you're you're like me that you probably watch Capitol Hill hearings from time to time where like a senator says, uh, so time time. how does the app get into your internets? Well, you the know? average age is 65. <laughs> yeah. Did yeah, you exactly. just see that? Yeah, right. So, so. I can imagine yes. like, you know, that because I know what that frustration is like is anytime you hear any tech hearings on, on yeah, Capitol right. Hill, it's always like, oh my it's, God. It's a laugh factory. I can't believe that these folks are making are responsible for making these laws. So yeah. yes, it's going to be behind. Right. But yeah, yeah I, w- I would think you would want to find a company that already is saying, hey, before anybody starts really asking these questions, mm. before the law catches up and the lawsuits and mm-hmm. companies are going out of business because they didn't do the right thing, mm-hmm. we're going to get ahead of that and already you know figure out exactly what we do and don't use. What you know what what, what we're anonymizing, where we're not capturing PII. I mean, I think it's just that's 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 got to be a, a base level if you want to work with a company in in this kind of technologies. You've got to be asking those questions up front and yeah. making sure they're being upfront about that before they even get started. Mm. I think so. And if I could just summarize really, really quickly, like there's a there's a, a range of solutions that you can get right that will go from the very, very basic to the very complex. And when we spoke before about tying in that data and saying you like our dashboard, the enterprise customers are never going to use it because they want to live pipe our data into their platforms so that they may inform maybe their mobile app that anyone's that's downloaded has already accepted the terms of service and saying that basically they're being tracked and, and all the things from the phone. So y- yes, a lot of the things are possible on the camera. The question is who owns the relationship? And it's not the technology vendor. It's not even the VAR or the distributor. It's the retailer in this instance. So if you give them the capabilities of engaging directly on the phone or maybe on some digital signage, I know we're going to talk about that in a second, then um, you're, you get rid of the creepy factor, number one. And number two, you get to stay clean and stay in your lane as a vendor or as a supplier to the retailer. That's really fair. That's, yeah. a, that's a fair frame. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. All right, well, let's let's. That's a good gears. segue into digital yeah, signage. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Let's segue into something else that might be watching everything you do. Yeah, um, really. 
so let's let's talk about digital signage. There's a couple of very unique sure. use cases I want us to wrap up with. Digital signage being yep. one of those because we know that it really mm-hmm. can greatly impact marketing, retail, hospitality, corporations, etc. I'll cite a, a statistic that I found on one of your blogs about digital signage. 63% yeah. of people reported that digital signage catches their attention more so than internet ads, TV, or traditional billboard advertising. Mm-hmm. I would agree with this. Yep. Uh, I'm not someone that yep. cares about ads on television or the internet. I ignore most of I don't of even stuff. see them on the internet If anymore. I even look no. at it at all, right. right. Yep. But you give me a good piece of digital signage that's got a really cool, unique thing that's catching my attention, mm-hmm. and I promise you I'm probably taking a look at it. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, knowing mm-hmm. that that many people are engaged with digital signage, because part of which, you know, we all carry around a big di- a digital sign in our pockets all the time. <laughs> you know, it's always exactly. got our attention. Yeah. How do we marry yeah. AI with digital signage to kind of take that potential to the next level? Well, it's a great question. Um, so there are all there are vendors, of course, and you know you work with a lot of them that um, have had solutions that look at the audience of people that are watching content and can both give you an understanding of how long people are looking at things, basic demographic information, and then be able to create an environment where you're going to change content based on the folks that are directly in front of you, right? So that is kind of computing behind a digital sign with a camera that's looking down and, and saying, okay, how is this person engaged? The, what, what, what I would challenge that with is that that is a point-to-point relationship, right? So you have a big screen and a big investment with a one-to-one or maybe a one-to-two or a one-to-three relationship between the camera at any given time and the person that's standing in front of us. Well, we described earlier this idea of density and utilization and collaboration is about what happened before the person got to the screen because that's how people run their websites that's the reason why there's tracking and all the rest of it because they want to get and i swear to god this is a real term a psychographic profile of the individual so that by the time they get to you they know what to sell to you right so if you like subarus and you like this and you like that that's how they kind of combine data for our experience let's take a grocery store for example working one with um one in australia that is tying in that real-time movement and product engagement into their digital signage strategy. Because what we've found, I'll give you another statistic, that if a customer is exposed to an ad around seven times within a given time period, i.e. a shopping experience, they're about 40% more likely to buy, buy the thing that they're exposed to. So if you think about it, we're looking at a journey, again, in a grocery store. I am a um, list shopper right? I know exactly where I'm going. I've got my list in front of me and I hit those things and I rarely deviate from that because I salute smartly when I'm told to go to the grocery store and I buy the things, right? That's my job. Um, Some people go up every single aisle and they use it as a a social experience where they're like, okay, well, all right. And they call their friends or they call their, their significant other and what do we need to buy and all the rest of it. So those are two different bookends of the profiles, but I'm using it as an example to say, when you're walking up and down those aisles, how many times was somebody exposed to that ad and does it derive an actual business value? So the idea of content triggering in, in our environment is more about what are the other data points that we can bring in as opposed to that kind of single point to point. Uh, another example would be um, in the drive through environment, right? We've done all the tracking and the learning and the data components to it. And the next um, iteration for us is to be able to trigger, but we're triggering not necessarily on when somebody walks up and the first time that they've ordered a product, we could trigger on the make and the model and the persona of the vehicle, i.e. 
If you're a proud minivan driver like I am, and you show up at 3.15 after you pick the kids up from school, you probably want to give them you know, cookies or something like that to put up on the screen. And that's information that you don't get unless you look at the, the data that's in front of you. You don't know that there's going to be a minivan rolling up. Or you might even look at the congestion of the line and see what we call bulk and abandonment rates, i.e. how many people are peeling off that line, either for line busting, tell your people internally to go out there and try to break that line, or present things on the digital menu board that might be easier to make, right? And that can actually decrease the amount of time and increase that throughput. That's the uh, idea of the accordion effect that you see within traffic when you're on the road and everybody's rubbernecking because there's an accident on the other side of the road and it kind of can uh, makes things kind of in and out. So if there's ways to relieve that congestion, you can show, again, the business outcome to the end customer that you're putting more cars through. We're measuring the whole thing and if you change. So that that's kind of how we're looking at it, as opposed to a single point, the digital sign is part of that larger ecosystem. And you can influence and measure based on not just that point to point, but also what's happening in the broader environment. I'll hop on there that what we're seeing is the movement of money, advertising dollars specifically, into place-based advertising. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, I think Rafi did a good job of, of really defining uh, the utilization of digital signage in a very specific way. Right, but, right. but when you think about the dollars that are going to enable some of that, it's going to come from the advertisers. They, they want mm -hmm. to be able to influence that 40% uh, that you referenced. Yeah, I can see a lot of brands getting behind oh, yeah. that right, and right. wanting to do that, uh, you know, dollars are coming out of the internet, if you will, an online experience into uh, place-based because of this reason, because the technology is sophisticated enough where you can get the analytics, you can get the computer vision, you mm -hmm. can start influencing mm -hmm. the sale on place. And so this this really, for us, is a high growth area. We, we see this as being a tremendous opportunity uh, for resellers that maybe aren't into this world to start understanding exactly what's going on, right. uh, partnering up with a company like Ameld CX so that you can understand it and bring the right solutions to your customer base and enable them. So, yeah. but, but again, advertising dollars are going to definitely help yep. to fuel this, yep. right? And I'll just no add, uh, check yeah. out the uh, the blog of it that, that I pulled that stat from because it was a uh, cool blog with uh, six, sorry, five innovative digital science campaigns Very we cool absolutely stuff. love. Yeah. Highly recommend you check it out just to see some really cool, slick ways people are using signage. And and really part of it was, was just that it's, it's fun and eye-catching well, stuff. So that gets to it the customer have to be experience. super complicated. No, a lot of them were customer experience yeah. ones, right? Like, oh, we're gonna yep. we're gonna have a little bit of fun here, right? Or but you're it's gonna, gonna be memorable. It's gonna be memorable. Yeah. That's right. I yep. like that kind yep. of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty cool. That's a very simplistic way that I think anybody could you know deploy this mm -hmm. and and have a little AI attached to it without necessarily being like, all right, look, we're not talking about something where you have to you know, measure and have 6 billion points of data in the background, there's some simple things you could do that can elevate your game but still use a little bit of AI. So check out yeah. that blog because I think there's some some cool stuff in there to get your mind kind of spinning about how this stuff can work. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. So, so let's wrap up with one last unique use case for AI here, education. Mm -hmm. um, and again, yeah. there's another there's another interesting blog you've got about this. I'll, I'll, as always, have all those links in the show notes so you can go check this stuff out. But tell us a little bit how MeldCX is bringing innovation to classrooms in particular and what may be mm. next for schools-related AI? This is very relevant for me. I have a son who is just getting ready to start kindergarten, so I'm already thinking about what's his educational experience going to be like compared to mine. And I, I feel yeah. like there's going to be some pretty cool tech involved that I never be a little got, different. got a chance to yeah. sniff at. Yeah, It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a bit different depending on how, uh, uh, how uh, open-minded your school district is, right? Uh, because what, what I found with my own kids that are you know going into fifth and third grade right now is that um, – 
technology is, um, it has to be so good that the trained education professional can use it and can understand what it is used for. Because if it's just asking educators to do technology, they go, I don't understand. And I got to tell you, we've got these sophisticated, quote unquote, uh, iPad apps that our kids have, but fundamentally the teachers are taking pictures of a piece of paper, right? And then saying, this is your homework. And I'm like, okay, so isn't that just a copier? That's not that sophisticated. So just be warned that that there could be some, as a technologist, you might get a little frustrated. Yeah, but, so yeah. I already here, have been, trust me. <laughs> okay, good. All right, so you you know. So the, the way that we're approaching it again is, um what kinds of problems are we trying to solve with an education? And, and the one that we're going after, this is kind of a big swing, if you will, is really the democratization of the idea of how to train models and how to put things together and break it down for young children to be able to engage with technology and feel comfortable with it and feel like it's a collaborative experience. That's the C part of the of some of the work that we do. So one of the examples that we have, again, this was actually in partnership with Intel, where we put together a, um, a Lego build, if you will, where we've got a camera that's just kind of a Logitech camera hooked up to an Intel Nook that will do recognition of the different pieces, um, watch that assembly process happen, give prompts if something is in the wrong place or the right place, what's next, and create a bit of a gamified experience of putting together a Mars rover in this instance. There's a video online um, uh, of that entirety of that experience. That is a, a proof of concept to say, are there ways that we can teach people how to assemble these quote unquote building blocks of technology together? It's the physical representation of what a technological build may be as well. And so for education for young children, it's about getting them um, introduced to a topic um, getting them to understand like building blocks. You've probably seen some of the drag and drop coding examples of some of the apps. This is a physical representation of that, if you will. But if you take it to another bookend, I like to go to the other extreme typically. You can think about it if you're um, trying to teach a mechanic how to fix an engine or put an alternator together, right? Or some of these other kind of more complicated things. You could show up to a workstation and not know anything about it and have all these pieces together. And then the image recognition is looking at how those things may be assembled and you're doing prompted learning because it's not just the labor. Um, so this is the business problem part. It's not just the labor of people that you're trying to train to get there, but it's also the trainers that are the problem because you, you've got a, you've got people retiring en masse that have 35 to 40 years of institutional knowledge that's not necessarily able to pass it down and bring it to the next generation. So that's kind of our approach. Yeah, it's computing intensive. Yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of an edge use case, but that's where it starts to get really really interesting because education like healthcare and some of the other markets are just kind of old and they've been a bit stagnant and they don't there's not an opportunity or there hasn't been necessarily an opportunity to really reinvent how people are interacting with technology. I see smart boards, they're in there. Um, some use them very, very well. Um, I see things like, you know, iPads and Zoom and all the rest of it are used to um, a frustrating degree. But when it comes to kind of cool applications where we can get people to use their hands as opposed to using their keyboard and their mouse, that's where we think that there might be an opportunity within education, whether that be primary or, or trades. 
it's brilliant. I mean, we need to we need to move our education system along a little bit because you know we yeah. all we were joking about how well how long does it take to make a law that's going to catch up or how, how long and so well. Unfortunately, yeah. we don't want to be there with our education system, right? right? We right. don't want to be t- teaching kids what was relevant in the seventies and eighties right. and nineties right. in these curriculums. So I love the fact that you are bringing the technology back, you know, physicality uh, into it. It's it's a really fascinating yeah. little use case if you go watch the video of yep. it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I'll, cool. I'll just add on. I I, I used to work in educational publishing, and um, around the time mm-hmm. that I was leaving that industry, we were just starting to introduce a lot of software. This is at like you know the collegiate uh, post edu- you know post uh, K through twelve schools, and uh, I worked with a lot of uh, institutions that were like tech schools, trade schools, career colleges, the ones that are teaching stuff like HVAC repair, automotive repair, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. medical yep. assisting yep. stuff like that. So yep. you know, th- what you were just mentioning earlier, and we were just getting around to putting out some softwares out there. Like I think one of the coolest ones, the last ones that I had seen was like an HVAC repair software that was basically just like you know doom doom 3d style you know 3d modeling where you could walk into the house and (laughs) walk down the steps to the furnace or whatever (laughs) pop it open you could pick your tool to check out you know to to identify like the freon levels or whatever stuff like that i mean and it was pretty neat at the time but that was you know 15 years ago Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's the kind of stuff where like now i can see like some of this newer technology and you know computer vision ai augmented reality just taking that to another level where you can help students and, and and help you know people that are trying to train for these these um, you know type of jobs mm-hmm. where instead of having like hey we've got two HVACs that we've you know from the 1980s that we're still having people train on hey it, maybe you got yep. a couple of folks working on that and getting the hands on work while everyone else in the class is working on these 3D models of something new like a new heat pump version or something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. you know and and just really getting hands on in a different kind of way but yet still mm-hmm. giving them that experience not to mention also working on stuff where if you mess up you're not potentially going to harm yourself or electrocute yourself yeah. or blow something up, you know, like, you know, it's a little bit more yeah. of a safer environment. So I, I'm excited about this. I think this stuff, you know, yeah. is to your point. Yeah. It's probably not going to show up in your local schools anytime soon, but, uh, but I, but I'm excited yeah. to see where this stuff can go. And I think there's going to be some really cool, innovative new ways to do education in the future. For sure. Yeah. We're, we're excited about it as well. Um, it is a, it's a big bet um, that could pay off, you know, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. Yep. There you go. All right. Well, hey, before we wrap up here and tell our VARs, you know, maybe a little bit about they can get in on this yes. game and work with folks like Meld and yep. where to go, where yep. to where to look for these type of opportunities. As always, thanks so much to our Tech Connect sponsors. Uh, thanks so much to Intel, who is mm-hmm. one of those sponsors mm-hmm. and lended us and recommended Meld CX for us uh, for this particular episode. Uh, thanks to all your viewers, as always. Hey, we want to always hear from you. Let us know if you like the show. Like, subscribe, hit that like button, smash it on YouTube, leave us comments. That's right. Send us in some some information. Uh, you know, if, if there's something you want to hear about on the show, again, we're getting ready to talk all about this AI stuff. If there's a topic we miss, if there's something you mm-hmm. want us to dive a little further or into. Yeah, we got to dig a little deeper with Rafi on there something. There you go. Right. Send, yep. us, send us that info. Tell us like, hey, I wish you would ask Rafi about this. Fine, we'll drag him back on and ask him <laughs> ask him again in the future. Uh, I'm sure he'll, he'll He's be got okay a cool studio. Yeah, I mean, he's go. already he's good cool, to go. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So cool send studio us, check, ability to talk check. A, exactly. To come back. There you yeah. go. That's all you need. So send us that stuff in. As always, there's a link in the show notes where you can drop us suggestions. We'll give you a Tech Connect podcast t-shirt just for sending a submission in, whether we use it or not. And as always, if you want to stay connected with us, you can always find us on Twitter at TechConnectPod or email us techconnect at bluestarinc.com. 
All right, let's wrap things up, first of all, with our value to the VAR segment. Mm, yes, uh, kind sir. of our way of giving a little bit of a takeaway to our yes. audience. And, you know, as I mentioned, you know, a lot of our VARs work with businesses that are pretty much going to be the SMB level. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sure. and we've, we've talked about this in other episodes before. Sometimes we talk about technology that you're going to see rolled out in, like, the giant Walmarts of the world, the McDonald's mm-hmm. of the world, mm-hmm. the, the big, big, you know, multinational brands that are out there. But you know, these solutions we're talking about, though, do they have a place when you get beyond the tier one retailers? We've kind of hinted at that a little bit. You know, where do you see yeah. those opportunities out there and, and how can they find opportunities to partner with companies like Meld to bring that maybe down to a little bit of a closer to home level? We think so. Um, we think it's almost like your um, F1 driving team, right? When Ferrari puts that out or, you know, some of the other kind of racing teams, the, the, the tier one retailers are always going to be the most innovative and they're going to spend the most money. But the offshoot of that is something that can be applied to a lot of small and medium sized businesses. Um, there's not a lot of uptake right now, again, because we're focusing in kind of on the enterprise and we kind of flow down. But some of the things that are coming out are load up a camera, put it on. If you want to know how many people are in a given environment, if you want to do, you know, kind of drive-through analysis, um, think about the um, franchisee that has five McDonald's or kind of any other brand, um, McDowell's, if you want to go back uh, back in the Wayback Machine in the 1980s, uh, uh, that, could, that could have kind of that level of information. So if you've got a couple of properties that you want to understand basic data, and just instead of calling around and all the different office managers, if you want to just look at one plane of glass and understand a little bit of information about how your environments are being utilized, we see that there's a value. And it's a software subscription and a camera, effectively, right, when you really boil it down. Um, so we think that that level of data is going to be important because the smaller and medium-sized retailers of today are going to be the big ones of the future, potentially. And the ones that embrace technology early on and have a better understanding of what's happening in their environment can react and be more nimble than some of the bigger folks. So there is a, there's, a, there's an appetite. There's a, an opportunity. We've got to find the right ones that understand the upside and the potential. But, yeah, I think that there's absolutely an opportunity for the SMB environment. And let's go a little bit farther, Rafi, on on how sure. Meld CX works with resellers, right? So you said early mm-hmm. on there's a desire on your side to have value, uh, you know, work with value added resellers. Can you comment on Absolutely. that a little bit? Sure. Um, so we go distribution out, right? That's the way for us to be able to manage, right? So part of my job is to churn up this end customer opportunity so that we understand so that we can kind of feed it back, if you will. So the folks that we're looking at from a partnership understanding are predominantly focused in kind of, you know, retail QSR banking is really kind of what we're focused on now. Anything with the drive through effectively um, as well. Um, and um, that, it, that can offer something besides moving a box, if you will. What are the other things that they do that can be unique that can help out the customer a little bit more? Are you a specialist installer? Do you know a lot about networking? Do you know um, a little, are you connected with the marketing departments maybe within a customer that makes it a little bit unique? Um, uh, so it's, there's got to be some level of kind of engagement and understanding and maybe some intellectual curiosity from, from the VAR to be able to kind of um, chew on something like computer vision. Because it's not easy, but once you get it and you learn it, you can be a leader, right, in your environment. And that's where we think that that value is. So for the ones that are aggressive, that are intellectually curious, that have the right kinds of um, businesses that are supporting the technology around this, 
I think are great fits and we're, we'd love to work with them. Really well said. And we mm. always talk about partner assisted growth in your business, right? And so if mm. you're a reseller, you, that's why we bring people like Mel CX to the table. We're hoping that, you know, eventually uh, there may be a good marriage here. You can't know everything. You need experts like these right. guys uh, on your side. Uh, intellectually curious. I, I like that, you know, having a curiosity about how this is going to take place. And you've got customers that you know already and right. you're, you've right. already implemented a, a number of uh, tech technology solutions, these are ones that they are definitely looking at if they haven't uh, told you uh, and they're going to be interested in. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, I go back to something, Rafi, you mentioned earlier when you were kind of talking about, you know, how stores, especially like when you're talking about the item level type, you know, type stuff or figuring Mm. out like what people actually are picking up and looking at and doing with the items. And I think, you know, if, if you want a good talking point, I think, to somebody maybe at a smaller level who, again, let's be honest, a lot of these conversations are just going to be conversations right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe they're not sure. ready to pull in the deployment. Maybe they're not ready to pull the trigger yet. But there's never – it's never too early to start having conversations about this technology because For eventually sure. it will be in mass and it will be oh, yeah. trickled down to even your mom-and-pop stores. Mm-hmm. So I think a yep. great way to maybe start having that conversation is, hey, you probably have a lot of good data about what you are selling about what's, you know, actually running through the register and what, you know, what your actual sales data is, what's actually going out the door. Wouldn't you like to have a little more data about what you aren't? Maybe what people are picking up and then putting back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, like the idea of like maybe they're picking something up, taking a picture of it and putting it back down. That's telling mm-hmm. you your pricing maybe needs to change or what parts of your store they're just not even going into. Like little things like that. If you if you just ask some of those questions, you might be surprised how many people don't have answers to them or have a ready answer, but also don't understand why that thing is happening. Like, yeah, right. yeah you know what? No right. one's buying this product over here. I, you know, I can't find it in any other stores. So I started stocking it, but no one seems to buy it for me. I don't know why. Mm. That's the kind of stuff right. we're like, hey, you know, down the road, maybe if we do a little bit of computer vision, if we add a little, little bit of automation and AI in here and, you know, kind of start watching what's actually happening around your store, we might be able to help you answer those questions mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. So, In my mind, I think that's a good playing field to start with. Like, even if you think my customers are not ready for this, I'm not going to bother with this. At least start talking to them and asking them questions about the kind of things that could lead here, because there's no reason not to do that right now. And you'd be surprised. One, you might be surprised how many of them actually are actually open talking about. I guarantee you they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And more importantly, as always, you're setting that you're setting that bar of Mm -hmm. I'm someone who's an expert in this. Mm -hmm. I'm asking the right questions. I understand what's going on in your store. I care about what's what you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So that when the time comes that you are willing to make this you're in the running. To make this leap, you're one of the first people. Or you'll get a call. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, that's that's why we like to educate, right? The more you educate your end customer, the more likelihood they are to come back to you with complicated questions that you might be able to answer. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep. There you go. That's and it. I'm sure you got plenty of questions out of this particular podcast. Yes, sir. You can go out there <laughs> and ask them about it. All right. Let's wrap up, as always, with our favorite segment, What's Tech Connecting With You, where we get to talk about something uh, in the world yes. of tech, science, innovation that is or otherwise got yeah. our attention. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. whatever we feel like. We've done yeah. this 150 plus times. And we. <laughs> We, we, we just pull random stuff out every every week. But Rafi, I'll start with you. What's Tech Connecting with you this week? Uh, I'm curious to know how the next generation of um, communication networks are going to happen. There was an article that came out that said that SpaceX uh, and their uh, Starlink system has about 50% of the low Earth satellites currently in orbit right now. And that's a lot for one company and one person to control in addition to all the other things. Uh, So uh, I'm curious to see how this 
uh, new tech, net new technology, if you will, is going to enable and create disruption within the the, the world because uh, it is it is profoundly impacting even the war in Ukraine. Right? It's it's a it's a fascinating piece of technology and where we are right now in the moment. It is not not just that, but also people apparently can see these satellites all over the place. The Starlings have you mm-hmm. have you ever seen them? Uh, but apparently, no. My eyes are garbage. So <laughs> no, I, 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 I can relate. I live in Chicago. I can't see the night. Sky. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard. I've had several people say to me, you know, oh, whatever. I, I live in Arizona, and boom, well, you can yeah, see them just flying there, around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they're recognizable sure. when, yeah. when they when they come out. But it is, it's true. It's fascinating how communication may change so it might be the next version of a space race is who can, right who can put the most communication it's stuff over, up in the, up in the sky that's that's yeah. that's why i'm so interested in it it's, it's because over it's already over right. yeah he, right. he's, he's dominating i mean that's 50 percent of the totality of all of the low earth wow. satellites it's crazy let's don't forget about even just communication right. it probably right. has about 90 percent of the communication satellites yeah good grief yeah Crazy. Yeah, yeah, you, crazy. yeah. If you've already got fifty uh-huh. percent of something, you've already won. Yeah, there's there's not much competition left at that point. So no question. Yeah. Talk about how governments take a while to, to <laughs> get caught. This is a perfect example. Yeah, yeah. One, perfect one day there'll be a there'll be a uh, meeting on Capitol Hill in about fifteen years. Going, wait a minute, what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> what did we do? Yeah. Uh-huh. Explain satellites. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dean. Let's get it tech connecting with you. Well, I may have disgusted people with one of my other tech connectings the other day, where we talked about uh, cement that was being. Util- or, uh, oh, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from, using from, diapers. Uh, diapers? Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I got a better one for you okay. here. But, but it's still yeah. solving the battery. you yourself? No, <laughs> it's not outgrossing myself. Engineers have demonstrated cement mix capable of storing and conducting electrical charge. Okay. Future application mm-hmm. may include wireless charging of uh, electric vehicles or powering homes, which is which was pretty cool. So that, yeah. that grabbed my attention. Uh, and apparently, oh. you know, they've got it all worked out in the sense that uh, researchers came up with a way to store electricity and cement using cheap and abundant materials, right? So, right. so we can store it, and they and it consists of two electrically conductive plates. I won't get into to some of the technology. So the storing is not so much the issue; it's the retrieving it, uh, the materials. And there, where that's where the cement comes in, and they 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 figured out a way to turn it into like the supercapacitor, if you will, hmm. uh, u- utilizing materials uh, such as uh, graphene and carbon nano tubes so that you can you know get it from the plate that's storing it in and then transduce it and then actually utilize it but they're really excited about this they they claim that they can with the amount of uh concrete that's in a typical home if you were to use this technology you you could store enough energy within that concrete to fuel the home for an entire day so wow. now you have talk about being off the grid, right? I mean, yeah. you've got your solar panels, but you if you were trying to get off the grid, you'd have to have this big old battery sitting there. Well, right. they figured it out a way to actually put it in the cement that's a part of your building. So I, I like thought it. that was pretty fascinating, yeah, right? There I you like go. That. What would these engineers come up with next as it relates to storing energy? I'm telling wow. you, the battery world is Eventually, like one we're of those just going to be walking batteries. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess we kind of are in a way, but yeah, 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 yeah. But they'll figure out the way to get that energy, you know, conveniently and store it in, in ways that are just right, right. Fascinating. fascinating. I just felt like I just had a glimpse of the Matrix in my head when they were Uh-oh. literally using humans for batteries. Oh, you know, yeah. Well, so. let's not go yeah. there, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, you know me, I always get down the dark path. Yes, at some point, exactly. So. Humans is, yes, the energy source. <laughs> Unbelievable. So what's Tech Connecting with you? All right. So, um, you know, I love to bring up the uh, the JW, JWST. Oh, the James yes. Webb Space we love Telescope. this thing. Yeah. Uh, you might have seen a few weeks back, I guess it was about mid-July or so, a new a new image was released. I mean, there's always new images coming out, but one mm-hmm. of the one of the coolest and most fascinating I've seen yet was a, a stellar nursery, as they refer to it. Oh, so yeah. So this is called the Roe Ophiuchi Stellar Nursery. It's uh, 390 light years away from Earth. Yeah, so not that far oh, off. Oh, that's it? It's, like, it's the closest. That's, that's pretty damn close, actually. the closest star-forming region to the Earth. It's, they said it's a relatively peaceful stellar nursery, so it's not like, you know, super <laughs> Violent. Chaos. Yeah. But there's, again, as always, I've got a link in the show notes. I highly recommend you go check out just to look at the image if you haven't seen it. And there's a cool little video that they put on there, or there too, mm. that kind of zooms in on it, you know, across oh, okay. the cosmos. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's just this amazing, like, kind of cloud of dust and debris with these glowing stars that are built forming inside of it. Almost looks like some kind of like spacefaring Lovecraftian monster or something mm-hmm, kind of thing. It's just, mm-hmm. it's absolutely gorgeous image. Every time you see this stuff, you look at it and you go like, well, this is clearly something someone illustrated. Right. Like, no, yeah. AI generally, this is, generative. This is, this is literally yeah. what's happening out in our universe. It's crazy. That we just can't see from here. Right it's crazy. Now Nor comprehend. Every yeah. time I look at stuff like that, I'm like, and then you realize the vastness of what oh, you're yeah. actually looking at this one little itty bitty yeah. part of the universe. Like, dude, it's like just, if, it's, if, if we were hard there, to our whole solar system would be one yeah. tiny, tiny little speck. <laughs> <laughs> in this massive thing we're looking at. So That's always right. recommend checking that out just to, if you ever want to, you know, realize just how small you actually are in the yeah. universe and how beautiful and amazing this uh, this universe actually is. You got your is, kids so. on the James Webb there yet, Rafi? Uh, do they see the images that are coming down from that thing or no interest at all? Uh, we've, we've done a little bit of that, absolutely. Um, and then, uh, but... For fundamentally, they're they're interested in ice hockey. Yeah, I understand. Uh, I, I totally that's, get that's it. Their fascination. Yeah, yeah. Northern Chicago. <laughs> like, that's that's great, it. Daddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they're not quite in the point of life where they're they're thinking about their place in the universe and how or star nurseries. Right yeah. now, right now, they're the center of the universe as far as they're that's concerned. Right. So, I'd rather chuck somebody it, into the boards. Be, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as it should be is right. Exactly. If I don't have to, right? There you go. All right, that's what's tech connecting with us today. Uh, unfortunately, it is time for us to unplug. Rafi Vardian, thank you so thank much you, for joining us today. Appreciate it having you on the show. Hey, uh, okay, so next week, part two of our trilogy. Part two of the trilogy. Tony Boncor from Honeywell coming ah. on to talk about a little bit more about AI in retail in particular. Fair enough. So stay tuned for that one. So All right. uh, until next time, folks, please stay connected. Technic Podcast is brought to you by Zebra. It's that time again, Dean. Oh, boy. No, it's not Christmas. Oh, what? Oh, well, man. maybe, depending on when you're listening to this. I don't well, know. It's true. Christmas Could time. be. Yeah. Uh, it's not Toyotathon. <laughs> is it? <laughs> is I don't it? know. I don't keep track of that. They always go on. But that's, anyway. That's yeah. Well, it, you got me excited. Okay. What is it? What is what it? What it is, is it's time to upgrade your customers to the latest products and solutions from Zebra Technologies. Nice. Uh, so, Blue Star has done it again. We have. Should I leave that hanging there? Yeah. Like, <laughs> 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 the a anticipation. Lot of, a lot of questions for that yes, one. Yes, yes. Uh, we, okay, we, what we've done is actually a good thing here. We've come through all of your sales history for Zebra Technologies and put together a custom report that will enable you to easily find and capitalize on low-hanging fruit. Nice. Who doesn't want that in sales? It's like, like it's like we're g- giving you the business intelligence. Yeah. I love it. I exactly. Love it. Yeah. So your customers may be using outdated technology or unsupported operating systems mm. on devices that you originally sold them years ago. If you're not having these discussions with them about refreshing their devices and upgrading 
upgrading to the latest technology, well, you can bet some other company will do that. So get out in front of it while you can with our help. So what you can expect in your refresh report is a historical sales data from 2015 to 22, upgrade opportunities by converting 1D scanners to 2D imagers, 2G, 3G devices to LTE enabled, and EOL windows to Android. Uh, this report also includes expert recommendations, resources to help you with upgrade conversations, and much more. So sometimes the easiest sales you can make are the ones that you've already made. Right-o. Uh, get your Zebra refresh report uh, at the link in the show notes or contact the Blue Star Zebra team. Technic Podcast is also brought to you by Evo. Elo is expanding their versatile line of commercial solutions, adding Linux alongside their market-leading Windows and Android-enabled hardware. Ooh, uh, getting e into Linux. They are. Elo's uh, Linux-based platform offers an expansive lineup across sizes and form factors, Linux device drivers, uniform SDKs, and a constantly growing set of tools. Linux is now available on Elo's 10, 15, and 22-inch i-series displays and the Elo backpack for digital signage, self-service kiosk, POS, KDS, and more. To learn more about Elo's Linux offerings, check out the link in the show notes or reach out to the Blue Star Elo team.